0: Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. Today we are going to be discussing chapter 34 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen with my special guest, my sister Paula. Hello. In chapter 34, Mr Darcy proposes and then Lizzie and he have a bit of a shit fight. Oh, that's a good way of putting it.
1: <laughs> it's very uh, contained though, isn't it?
0: They're very very—they're still very polite about their argument.
1: It's the thing that I think stands out the most to me. I've been reading some sordid thrillers at the moment, and it's full of prostitutes and knives and drugs and all sorts of stuff. And people don't contain their feelings at all, they just let everything out. And you know, this is antithesis of that because they're always uh, collecting themselves before they speak. I like he was struggling for the appearance of composure and would not open his lips till he believed himself to have attained it. I mean, he's just poured his heart out to Elizabeth about how he loves her and it's obviously taken a lot for him um, to do it. And she's straight away just shot him down and he's obviously surprised and he's angry. His complexion became pale with anger, and the disturbance of his mind was visible in every feature. And he, he doesn't let it out, though, in his words. No. He composes himself before he speaks. As it says, at length, in a voice of forced calmness, he said. You know, it's quite amazing the way that people spoke to each
0: other in those days. It does say later that he is an expression of mingled incredulity and mortification. Those are beautiful words, and it's a beautiful way to explain how he's feeling without him saying anything. Absolutely. And, you know, and that is the point that he doesn't actually express that. Mr. Oh. Darcy's shameful boast, and you were talking about this when you read it, and you like, I don't think that he boasted. I agree with you. I don't think that he boasted, but this is what Lizzie heard. When Fitzwilliam told her, because she's got such a bad view of Darcy to start with, when he said Darcy had separated someone who we believe and are correct in believing is Bingley and Jane, that he was boasting about it. Yeah, because I went back to the previous chapter and reread everything that Colonel Fitzwilliam
1: had said and I couldn't see any kind of boasting in it. I th- I thought it was more that Mr Darcy thought he was doing something good for his friend, but I didn't think that he was boasting in the misery that he'd been able to inflict on-, on the lady that was involved. Yeah, I thought she was quite harsh, and of course that sets us up for what happens next. She's already got this negative view of Darcy, and then him coming and proposing. Um, it's, it's He couldn't have done it at a worse time. no. And he couldn't have done it in a worse way, I don't think. I mean, I know she says um, something or other about you couldn't
0: have approached me in any way that would make me want to say yes. Yes, but still, the way that she he does it is absolutely appalling. So I've been thinking about the timing of it. So he leaves the at rosings to go and see her, and he obviously intends to propose when he turns up. Would he have done it at Rosings, or did her absence at Rosings convince him that now was the time to do it, that he couldn't bear her not being there, and how did he escape Lady Catherine? Oh, good questions. Is this a plot hole? Well, I think that perhaps the amount of times that he's
1: run into Elizabeth is an indication of the fact that he's been trying to get himself to do it for quite a while and she does comment that he's leaving in two days so perhaps he's realized oh my goodness this is like my last chance and um he hasn't been able to get himself to do it in the woods and i guess anyone could come upon them as they were going for a walk in the woods Mm -hmm. so i'd say he saw this as a, a good opportunity to go and do it and it seems like he has enough Status with his aunt that he perhaps would be able to get away with leaving and doing this? Just saying, I need some space, I'm going for a walk. I don't know. Or I'm, you know, as Mr. Collins loves to tell us, it is a large house. So he could have said, I'm, you know, not feeling well, I'm going to go and have a lie down and then snuck out the back door as
0: such because he didn't bring a carriage, did he? No. Well, not that we can tell. The first thing he does is inquires after her health, imputing his visit to wish of hearing that she were better. So it could have actually started with him going, I'm really concerned that she's not well and going to see her to make sure that she is well. But then he very quickly goes into, I ardently admire and love you, which you were correct about. That is the wording. When he is there, he sat down for a few moments and
1: then getting up, walked about the room. I think... He's nervous. He's really nervous. I think he has come to do that. I think that's uh, obvious in in those movements of his. um, And he came towards her in an agitated manner. I think he's really nervous. And I I think he's been trying to get himself to do it for a while. Sort of talk himself into it. And now he's doing it. He doesn't think anyone else is going to come upon them while
0: they're doing it. So it's a, a good time to do it. He talks about his sense of her inferiority of its being a degradation of the family obstacles what's interesting here is he's maybe trying to express how great he is despite everything um but he doesn't criticize her specifically he just criticizes her connections of the family obstacles
1: yeah he doesn't criticize her you're right he is criticizing
0: her family and despite of her deeply rooted dislike, she could not be insensitive to the compliment of such a man's affections. But he has real security. He speaks of apprehension and anxiety, but his countenance expressed real security that she would say yes, because who would say no to someone like him? I mean, we've talked about this a few times, about how
1: really marriage was for money or for status or for security. And or you get all, all of those them. things marrying him. Yeah, exactly. So... I mean, he's nervous because he realises that what he's doing is something that people are going to look at him sideways and wonder why he's proposed to her instead of somebody who's perhaps more well-suited in their society. But, yeah, I mean, even though he does say that he's nervous about her answer, he really isn't, is he? Because
0: Mm -hmm. who, who wouldn't say yes to Mr Darcy? I think a lot of people would, even at that point. We brush over the proposal um, pretty quickly, and most of the chapter is actually the argument that follows. Because
1: she very quickly lets him know that this is not something that's going to happen, and why. It's not like she just says no and he leaves. She actually expresses
0: why she would never marry him. She says, if I could feel gratitude, I would now thank you. And it's that word gratitude that gets me because later she loves him and it's based on gratitude that he still loves her. And gratitude for what what he's done for Lydia. She says, I love this. You like me against your will, against your reason, and even against your character. That's every single way you could definitively dislike me. You do. What I find frustrating about Darcy here
1: is that as soon as... Elizabeth mentions Wickham, he says you take an eager interest in that gentleman's concerns, but. And in a less tranquil tone because he starts to freak out about it. Absolutely, but he doesn't explain it. Well, he didn't know how he could
0: possibly explain it at that point in time. Well, yeah, I know, he doesn't want to get his sister in trouble. And what imaginary act of friendship can you defend? Can you here defend yourself? Because he can defend himself because he was trying to help out Bingley. But then the other argument... So she's got these two main arguments against him. That he separated Bingley and Jane. And that he's been a bastard to Wickham. And taken away his inheritance. And so one of them he can say, I was looking after my friend. But there's nothing he can say about an imaginary act of friendship when it comes to Mr Wickham. As far as she's aware.
1: Well, he could have, though, explained... He could have just said he saved a young woman from being... Would she have believed him at this point in time? No, probably not. You're quite right. Yeah, I guess he does do the right thing. And it's that same thing about not allowing your emotions to take over. So he is very much in control of himself, which is what the society was like in those times. And so he was able to go away and craft a letter expressing himself rather than just blurting out all his feelings and thoughts to her at the time and of course that means that what she said what he says
0: is a lot more coherent so i have a question all these silences that he's had when he's been looking at her do you think that's been listing her faults to himself to try and turn himself off her or meditating on her many perfections (laughs) i think neither actually do you do you mean now, during this chapter, or earlier? Earlier. Oh. This is what's made me wonder about it. Because all the time that she's thought he's been staring at her, do you think that he's been going, no, this is why you can't approach her, or he's been going, she's so wonderful, this is why she's so wonderful?
1: I think it's a mixture of both. Particularly because Caroline Bingley, Bingley. says about, says to him something about what he's thinking, and he says, no, I'm thinking about a pair of fine eyes. And... Maybe that's just the TV program. I don't
0: know. No, that is. It is the book. Oh, eyes.
1: hooray. I have read the book, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I remember that so much better. And and so I think we're led to believe by Austin that he is thinking about how lovely she is, and not just her fine eyes, but also her her brain as well. But obviously he has also been telling himself she is not the correct woman for him, not appropriate. Um, So I imagine that in the silences he's been doing that
0: as well. I don't think it's an either or an or. I think it's a both. What do you think if she had said, yes, I'll marry you if you get Bingley and Jane back together? What do you think would have happened? As we get to know him in the book,
1: as, as the book continues... I think that he would have questioned her on it and come around to it because he did it out of what he thought were good motives Mm -hmm. and I think if he can be shown that actually um, there are other good motives that he could follow then I think he would have done it. But I also think that if she'd said yes now
0: he wouldn't have grown
1: as a character like he does and neither would she and i i think that it would have taken them a really long time to get to know each other and their marriage would have been really unstable maybe forever or maybe just for the first little while as they got to know each other but maybe the way the society is they wouldn't have got to know each other so well
0: i just think lizzie's no good at negotiating (laughs) she's like here are my two problems Bingley and Wickham. You probably can't do anything about Wickham, but you can do something about Bingley and Jane, so I will marry you if you get them back together.
1: Yeah, but you can see when she when she talks to Mr. Collins that actually she is not going to marry
0: for anything like that. No. I mean, but if this was her only option to get Jane happy, do you think she'd do it? Do you think she'd marry into a potentially unhappy marriage so that Jane would be happy?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. She does love her very much and she does say in the chapter that she's glad that she's going to be back with her again very soon so that she can comfort her. I guess she's seen how Charlotte has been able to cope with Mr Collins you know, I guess if she thought it through, then she might have thought that it was okay to marry Darcy because his house is definitely bigger than Mr. Collins. Could have a whole wing to yourself. Exactly. And she wouldn't have to put up with Lady Catherine de Bourgh as much as Charlotte has to. <laughs> oh, she... and she'd get to see Colonel Fitzwilliam.
0: What, and continue to flirt with him? Yes. Ha <laughs> ha. So she mentions Colonel Fitzwilliam. Agreeable as he was, she did not mean to be unhappy about him.
1: Yet then when the doorbell goes
0: she uh is excited that it could be him yeah but it's not because it's darcy yeah pride is mentioned about both of the characters mr darcy says had not your pride been hurt by my honest confession of the scruples that had long prevented my forming any serious design and then in lizzie's mind it's his pride his abominable pride it was gratifying to have inspired unconsciously so strong in affection, but his pride, his abominable pride. And then she goes on to complain about Jane and Mr Wickham again, and she's just driving those two things home.
1: And she does really focus on, on his pride
0: uh, in here. And, of course, this chapter really is about pride and prejudice, because she's prejudiced against him because of these two instances. And it's his pride that's held him back from admitting that he's in love with her. It's a really pivotal chapter in the book, because he's
1: obviously proposing, but it's not just that he proposes, it's the fact that he has been able to talk himself into it, uh, That that is important to his character development. And and of course it's pivotal, because it's like the catalyst for, for the rest of the novel, as things move forward.
0: And it happens directly in the middle of the novel, which is really interesting. Like If I Try to close my book, it's sitting right in the middle. Yeah, it's a the perfect structure. Why wait so long, you think, before having him propose? Why not have it happen earlier and then them have longer of the novel trying to come towards each other?
1: I think because they needed to... Well, sorry, not they. Jane Austen needed to establish uh, all these reasons
0: for... Elizabeth disliking Darcy, and do you think half a novel is enough to then break down all those reasons she didn't dis- she does dislike him? Absolutely, I think that
1: nowadays, you know, you look at your traditional, well, not traditional like Jane Austen, but traditional as in twenty first century films. Your rom-coms say for example they will meet at the beginning and hate each other and then we'll take the entire film for them to figure out why they hate each other or come together or something and it all just seems a little bit false um, because it's hate at first sight Um, either that or we have this love at first sight thing whereas Jane Austen actually spends time creating well-rounded characters and creating storylines that
0: allow the characters to grow and develop I mean, you could argue here that Darcy had love at first sight and Lizzie had hate at first sight.
1: Rather than them
0: both hating each other, one of them loved and one of them hated, and it's that love which is more powerful, which tips things.
1: Yeah, that's really true. I think maybe rather than hate, he just sort of looked at her and was like, oh, she's she's okay, yeah. Oh, hold on, what am I thinking? Oh, I'm seeing her again and I like her again. Oh, dear, dear, dear. You know, I think it's because... It did develop, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't an f- at-first-sight thing. Yeah, and because Austen has waited until halfway through the novel for this proposal, it actually becomes more believable. But I think in Austen's day, perhaps it was more expected that things were more believable than today, where we just have movies that are churned out
0: one after the other. And people running to the airport, even though you can't get through the security lines anymore. Yes, Exactly all the plot holes in the world,
1: with the soaring violins. Oh, we're both a bit cynical, aren't we? Sorry a about bit, that.
0: Romances. Bit. woohoo! Was it a funny chapter? I know you love to say that they're funny. Yeah,
1: there were some funny elements in it, like Elizabeth going, oh, no, no, I'm going to be okay about Fitzwilliam, and then when the doorbell goes, um, she's going, like, oh, is it him? Yeah, I thought that was quite cute. Um, but then the rest of the chapter actually becomes quite serious.
0: So, yeah, only one little funny bit in it. And that is our summary of Chapter 34 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Thank you for listening. You can find me at com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. We wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice, heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!